This is the Books Podcast presented by Tim Haig. Education has been a convenient scapegoat for all the other failures in society. Everybody can see through the Emperor's new clothes. We just need to find a way of getting rid of the Emperor. Okay, something of a departure for us here at Books Podcast. Uh, most books in the education section of the bookshop are uh, on the dry side. The People's Republic of Neverland, though, is anything but. It's a fiery, polemical blast of anger and passion. Now, Rob Johnson was, well, is a teacher with a panoramic vision of best practice in education. And I don't think I'm giving too much away if I say that it doesn't really boil down to endless testing in sterile exam factories. Uh, Rob, thank you for having us. Absolutely, yes. Oh. Let's start with that title, The People's yeah. Republic of Neverland, The Child Versus the State. That child versus, you mean that literally? Yes, yeah, I literally. do, yeah. The inter- it's the, I think that education has lost sight of the fact that the most important part of education is the child. And um, be- since the introduction of the national curriculum and all that's gone with it, the state has positioned itself as the ultimate uh, arbiter of what should take place in schools and the interests of the state have been pr- placed above the interests of the child so it is very i think anybody in education has to decide which side they're on are they on the side of the child or are they on the side of the state well m- most education secretaries would would uh, argue and insist that uh, that that they were they were convergent that the interests of the state and the interests of the child were were you know broadly similar surely what we all want is for the child to get a good education and for the state to end up with you know um educated and 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 uh, uh, well rounded individuals uh, that was a different state you're talking about there that's a completely different state to the neoliberal state and that was the state that existed maybe uh in the period of the uh, the post-war consensus and of course since since thatcher and the resurgence of the right th- that's not what they want at all um what they want is docile uh, in a way they, they want to turn the turn state education back to its its original uh function which was to provide in the 19th century um a workforce that was educated just enough to m- person the factories or be clerks in, in counting houses or whatever so the state is basically reasserting the idea that the state uses education as a tool to create the populace it wants so it stopped stop obviously as you mentioned testing as well um, it stopped the idea that uh, education is about drawing out the potential from each individual which is actually what the word education comes from educare means to draw out potential uh, but simply to, to measure measure people and grade them and make sure that they can be stamped as useful or not to the state and in 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 doing this also that i would say that the state disables people by teaching them by by giving them anti-educational experiences when we have a state that has uh, a phobia with it's quite funny isn't it with with uh, reading skills at the same time as we have a state that hap- hap- has happily had the support of and relies upon 
the support of the tabloid press to act as its to act as its propaganda machine. You uh, in uh, within the book and in a slightly yeah. different context, you quote Michael Rosen uh, mm. saying that uh, you know the, the literature has, has has given way to literacy, yeah. and 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 that's all part and parcel of this of this process yeah. that you say. Let, let's yes. let's go back because you do a yes. bit of the history of this, and it, it, it is it's not quite a golden age, but there was a brief window you're suggesting between between the war and uh, and Thatcherism. When radical pedagogy was was on the agenda, at yes. least, and it was there was a, there were developments. We never really got to to the, the golden yeah. sunny uplands. But yeah. t- tell me about that, and perhaps we can also weave in. Uh, many of our listeners will have completely forgotten the William Tyndale school. Yeah, oh, uh, but perhaps yeah. that might yeah. be a way of, of yes. explaining some of, of the yeah. uh, background. And it also it also that 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 brings us to the point when the state went, hang on. What are we paying for here? Um, the as we we can look look back historically, and we can see that um, that you have a, a general tendency to to democratisation within society, uh, whether that's allowing allowing women to vote or whether it's allowing people to be educated. And of course, with the with the creation of the welfare state uh, beverage report. That argued that everybody should have access to education and healthcare and housing. In 1945, um, people started pe- people within education started paying a proper attention to how and what we teach our children. There are several government commi- several government commissions. I can't remember their names, but they're in the book. Um, and interestingly enough, they're composed sometimes of the great and good. Um, but also, or are composed from people who know what they're talking about. People who are educationalists. They're not. And it's not policy decided by think tank, by the Sutton Trust, which of course is the think tank that was set up by Michael Gove in 2011 to come up with the kind of uh, the kind of re- reports that basically uh, validate or encourage government political policy. Um, but but there was a general interest in how you make sure that every child gets um, a, a, the education they deserve, and gradually. You're right. Radical pedagogy started finding its way into state schools. The ideas that the ideas that, of course, the rich had always enjoyed. And obviously, the rich send their children to some schools. Where they just get buggered and beaten as usual. But there are some places within within the private sector. The the, the history of kind of radical education that goes back to uh, free schools and Steiner schools, um, and of course Summerhill. Um, that that are you're so going to have to say what Summerhill was because ah, that was new to right. me. Oh well, Summerhill is Summerhill is is like the it's the classic beacon of English um, progressive education. It was uh, established by A.S. Neil, who is a pretty progressive. He's a very child-centered progressive thinker, and Summerhill was a school where children were engaged in decision making they took they they were encouraged to all ages were encouraged to be part of like a democratic process they talked about what they were going to do uh they accepted responsibility for what they were going to do um and education was uh voluntary if you like rather than imposed and children had agency over what over how they were taught um and summerhill is the great it's the great moment in the in, in the english tradition where progressives actually get hold of a, uh, an institution and create something and, and and people working the state system i know the school i first worked at had several people who'd looked at the summerhill and thought yes look this is what we do you engage children you don't treat children like they are um either uh, 
dogs to be ordered about or in Dickens's hard times little pictures to be filled with facts you recognize that children are sentient and intelligent beings who bring something to education and you give them agency and choice over how they structure their learning um well, isn't, so, isn't there a problem though that if uh, that if, if you you make it child-centric mm. and uh, and allow the children to uh, to dictate as it were their own learning they're going to avoid the hard things and i i, I want to yeah re remind our listeners you you are a teacher so yes. this is not a theoretical thing no 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 this is no, not no. an idea that no, you've no, pulled no. out of a book no this, this, this is, this is my this is my this is my experience that actually yeah. so people do, learn best isn't, when isn't they have a case though that kids uh, will go well i find french really hard i'm not going to do any languages i think the the difference is that if you if you treat people with respect, actually, I'm not I'm not, I'm not sure that um, I would say I'm not sure that people need to learn need to be made to learn French. I think people need to be given uh, an education experience that encourages their and substantiates and um, substantiates their. Um, their natural inclination to learn so that for example when they do come across things like maths which i can't stand um and french which you might find difficult they don't go oh, i'm not doing that they go oh, i'll have a bash at that you might not become an expert at it but you might want to have a go and you might decide actually and i think this is actually right you might decide actually what i'm really good at i'm really interested in is something called geography so i'd like to spend more time doing that please so what you, well, of course there is a basic there's always an assumption that children need a basic level of skills. Um, however, um, if you think about, for example, taking maths as your as your as an example of something a lot of people have difficulty with, I think a lot of people have difficulty with maths because it's taught too early on as an abstract, meaningless language. And you, we found that we we find that I think most of the maths we use we we've learnt by the age of eleven. Most people go into jobs they don't use. They certainly use their maths that they learn. You know, by the time they've learned the concept of times tables, so you don't make people do. You don't make people do things they don't want to do. When I, the the school I first worked in, it kind of acknowledged that it had a, a kind of responsibility to encourage uh, children to address all areas of learning. So the the voluntary nature was that the children could decide how much time they spent in each curriculum area. And um, so if they did want to spend a lot of time on, on something geographical, they spent most of the week of doing something geographical and then scampered through their maths at a bare, minute, a bare, bare minimum uh, later on. But the, the important thing to remember is if you treat people as responsible individuals and if you make learning enjoyable, um, then all those kind of problems of children sort of being refusing to do things they don't like, I think that's quite sensible. You know, if you don't if you don't like something and you know and, and it just doesn't, why make people do more of what they're not very good at? Well, you, it's counterproductive, you, isn't it? Well, of course, you make you you make this point by referring it forward to the uh, the present uh, regime yeah. and this this sort of exam factory, this constant uh, testing thing. And I, I, I would think of it in terms of French rather than maths. Yeah, because yeah. what what you get now is that uh, children will spend years. Um, learning French, getting a GCSE, yeah. and then promptly forget every word of French at the end of the exam. Now that's yeah. wasted time. Yes, absolutely. Unless yeah. you regard yeah. the qualification yeah. as justification in well, itself. Well, well, they do, don't they? That, that's that's such that's the kind of almost antediluvian idea of education that um, it, it shows your 
if you make people do something they're not very good at and they and they and they can get a, a pass in it then it shows their aptitude for doing whatever you throw at them in the past the testing regime was actually diagnostic it you did a test and so you came out with some gcse's or o levels and i said oh look oh johnson he's, he's okay at literature um johnson did particularly badly in chemistry because he's not very good at that and da, da, da. and that's scope but now all children are expected to pass all exams whether they have a natural aptitude for it or not whether for the for the for the area of learning so it is just about passing exams for passing exams sake and of course that makes it so joyless it makes learning purely a mechanical uh, it's also an unrealistic uh, expectation, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, every, mean, every year above average. Yeah. You can't, yeah, you can't yeah. have rising no. results no. year on year. No, no, no. Uh, it's I mean, a fiction, isn't it? It's total fiction. It sounds good to a Daily Mail reader, but in the real world, it's just... It, it's worse than a fiction, though, isn't it? It's a lie. Mm. Uh, you, you say in the book, rising yeah. test results don't improve kids' employment yeah. um, prospects, yeah. Yeah. but they do wonders for the head teacher's yes. employment yes. prospects. Yeah. And, and, and the, I mean, what, what the right wing would say is that, uh, you know, doing well at school... Is is going to provide you with a, a better yeah. job yeah. and it's going to make everybody more employable. Yeah. But that's only true if the jobs are there. Yeah. Yes, the, the, one of the things that has happened since, again, since the 80s is that education has been, has been a convenient scapegoat for all the other failures in society. Um, the fact that the fact you can't get a job it's because you were badly educated, not because there aren't any jobs there, um, not because British industry has been actually hammered into in, into extinction no one makes anything it's all service industries industries anymore the, the, the this you're right I, I must stop being so kind and calling it a fiction but it is a lie that uh, if that school can fix society let's assume um that everybody comes out of school miraculously doing with mass with magnificently wonderful grades what are they going to do with them where are they going to be employed? Because we know that the, the employment isn't there. Um, we know lots of people who even leave school, go to university, come out with some kind of degree, and still can't get any kind of employment because we have a state that doesn't actually doesn't actually want to employ people, doesn't want to give people well paid well paid jobs uh, that, where they can work together. No, because poor people are more profitable to yeah, the financial yeah, industry. Yeah, yeah, and the, the the other side of this, of course, is uh, the a similar lie yeah. of social mobility. People yeah. always like to trumpet social yeah. mobility as though this is a good thing. Oh, yeah. we're going to you know, we're going to get yeah. some poor kids into grammar yeah. schools. Oh, yes. But all you're doing really is rearranging the the victims. Yeah, it's, it, and it's because it's unless, unless there is enough uh, uh, enough jobs and enough employment and enough. Yeah. Uh, prospect yeah. then yeah you're chair you're you're, yeah. you're selecting the deserving yeah poor you are the, the deserving poor or we, we think you might be useful so out you come from the abyss off you go to grammar school off you go to off you go to oxford um and you lot well we don't care you have it's just like you just stay there and you're undeserving because you didn't pass the test that we, you didn't pass the test we wanted to set for you to pass um and that's uh yeah that that keeps and also if you have a system of education that is outcome based and that de deliberately disables people intellectually and indeed linguistically then you have a work population that isn't is unlikely to get itself organized it won't get itself into trade unions won't cause the government any trouble uh, might riot occasionally but won't have the kind of the, the won't necessarily have acquired any kind of language or sense of worth that makes them 
effectively resistant. I've got a great quotation from Louise Michel, uh, the heroine of the Paris Commune, teaches the, as they like the obscure foot soldiers of the revolution. They give, the, give people the intellectual means by which to revolt. I can hear a voice over my shoulder, though, yep. insidiously saying, what is wrong with education being useful? Don't we need engineers, lab technicians, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, care home we administrators? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do. what is wrong with education being we useful? Do. Well, education is useful, isn't it? But it's also, it's also it's, it should be seen as being useful to the individual because useful individuals then are useful to the state. Uh, automatons aren't particularly useful to the state but useful individuals and they're also they're useful to their own lives um i i have been fortunate enough to have spent what seems like several lifetimes working as a teacher and what this has given me is the is the an experience of working with umpteen i did calculate how many children i've worked with and it was quite a lot um, and I've I've never met one who wasn't interested in learning you know, in the early years. I've never met one who didn't come into the who wasn't able to come into a, a school saying, "Okay, come on, let's do something interesting." With at, them. at which point, I can still hear that voice yeah. over my shoulder, suggesting that some of it, some of the book reads yeah. a, a tad utopian. <laughs> uh, you sort of don't, you don't believe in punishment, for one thing. Uh, on the, That's difficult. At one point, That's difficult. I, I wrote this down: yeah. children are essentially instinctively kind. Yeah. Um, and you also wrote, <laughs> I also wrote down, I've got right under that, the minimum age of teachers ought to include that all children go home happy. The, there isn't a, a, a utopian note. No, I think that's realistic. That's good education. That's good practice. And and why would you why would you want to make somebody unhappy? What's the point of making somebody unhappy? I mean, realistically, why would you want to make somebody unhappy? They'll only come back the next day because they'll be forced to, and they'll be res and they'll be resistant. They'll be unhappy, and you'll have to overcome their unha their, their, their unhappiness. And, and children are kind. And children are yeah. kind, and you yeah. never need punishment. Uh, difficult. I think punishment within schools is a very diff difficult question. Um, there's a um, there's a constant tension between the child and the way the child views itself as received by the world around it. And as children get older, they realise that their their world doesn't care for them particularly now. They realise they might live uh, <laughs> at the wrong end of the, at the wrong end of the streets. They realise they might have a dysfunctional family. They realise they're living in a, dis in a dysfunctional uh, society and they they feel angry and so when people are angry when people when people's needs aren't met then obviously they behave in antisocial ways if you're in a society that doesn't value you quite rightly you behave in antisocial ways um so if you're in a school that just values the exam results you're not good at exams then you're not gonna you're not gonna feel engaged you're gonna be anti be antisocial um but in your vision we'd fix all this earlier yeah. So that they wouldn't need to get yeah. to the point of needing yeah. to be punished. Yeah, uh, that's and and you need to make sure that you have a system that engages with people's interests. And it is, I believe that why why do people behave badly? It's when their needs aren't met. Um, too much attention has been paid to behaviour. Too much attention is paid to behaviour. Those governments setting up behaviour centres. And again, again, that's that's kind of like, um, well, it doesn't address. The cause it addresses the symptom. The, why are people so unhappy that they are uh, disaffected at school? And punishing them or giving them some kind of behavioural boot camp is just in a way giving them more of the. And, and then, of course, you end at. up with an academy that's excluding a yeah, third of its yeah, students. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
which yeah. which can't be right. Yeah. No, it's not right. You 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 need to make sure that you have a, a system uh, that welcomes the child and values the child, um, and if you do that, then I think if you if you concentrate on relationships, on explaining reasonably and don't just simply impose an arbitrary frankly bullying authority that so many schools feel they have to that's a historical model um then if people feel at home in their environment why would they wish to be behave badly in their environment why would they wish to engage in antisocial behavior you you just very few people actually want to shit in their own houses, do they? And if they do, something's gone wrong. You must try. We must try and work out ways of fixing things before they go wrong, addressing the cause rather than the symptom. And because of that, this is, in its, its own way, a really optimistic book. Insofar as you you have a vision of how things could be yeah. and 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 almost have been, even yeah. though the current state is uh, yeah. fairly parlous and, yeah. and 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 dysfunctional. The current state is exhausted. The current state has prolonged itself. It's played its it played its joker with. The, the, the neoliberals played their joker with Brexit and that distracted so much attention from their f the awful failures of austerity, the awful failures of their education system. There are increasing uh, uh, demands from parents for a creative curriculum, for a child centred, for their children to be valued in schools. That's an increasing, an increasing movement. It's probably a middle class kind of movement, but it's still a movement. Um, and... Everybody knows that the exam factories don't work. We know that our children in schools are more stressed. They're more, they're more afraid of um, exam failure than they are of bullying. Um, it's a kind of a strange thing. We know, everybody's known that. But, of course, uh, Brexit distracted attention away from the, from, from the failures of neoliberalism. And then COVID, of course, has is, is been another gift for a, basically a bankrupt political system because they now talk about oh uh, the need to catch up they move the argument argument away from what is actually happening in us in our schools what are our children actually learning and doing in our schools to um, oh they must catch up so in a way i'm surprised no we should never be surprised at the way that the capitalism and the neoliberal state manages to prolong itself by any means necessary but i when i started writing the book it was clear wasn't it it is clear that certainly the condemned government is exhausted politically it's bankrupt um so that's why it's optimistic because we we've everybody can see through the emperor's new clothes we just need to find a way of getting rid of the emperor well the people's republic of neverland the child versus the state by rob johnson is published by pm press at uh, 17 pounds 99 here $20 in America, where it's also available. And of course, there's a Kindle at $4.99, the cheapest option. Uh, Rob, thank you very much. Thank you very much. That was Books Podcast, presented by Tim Hay. Books Podcast is a Green Shoot production. You can find out more at www.green-shoot.com and Tim can be contacted on tim at green-shoot.com.